It's the Friday News and Notes Edition, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Here's the pitch on the way, a swing and a foul. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for August 2nd and show number 32 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you with our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with Jock Thompson. We'll have our regular weekly Talk with Todd, featuring Todd Zola discussing contrarian midseason player rankings, underachievers, and more. And in our regular Friday matchups analysis, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at Rick Porcello hosting the White Sox and Brandon McCarthy returning against Boston. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? The playoff races are shaping up. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, as we begin August, we have 15 teams in both leagues within five games or less of a playoff spot. Even the Kansas City Royals have climbed back into the wildcard race with a streak of nine wins in their last ten games, getting them within four and a half games of the second wildcard spot in the American League. This is all very exciting, but I'm not entirely sure it's a good thing. It's nice that more fans get to think about a chance at the World Series, but expanding the number of playoff slots doesn't make any of the teams better. It just lowers the bar to be thought of as good. The Royals are just over 500 for the year. They're six and a half games behind Detroit in their own division and nine and a half behind the Boston Red Sox, the best team in the American League. Fortunately, no such issues here at Baseball HQ Radio, where all our analysts and commentators are playoff caliber. So let's get to the first inning of our show, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. And leading off, it's our National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here. Well, one trade I'd like to talk about with you, Nick, uh, this week. Uh, we had a smaller kind of deal at the end of the trading non-frenzy at the deadline, but Ian Kennedy goes from Arizona, where he was really struggling, to San Diego. And I'm wondering if you think maybe is this an opportunity for a new start for Ian Kennedy and maybe somewhat better environs? Yeah, I think definitely. I, yeah, definitely an opportunity for a new start for Ian Kennedy this season. I mean, he's... At a 5.23 ERA, a 4.28 XERA, so he'd been struggling only three wins at this point. So I think the move from from Arizona to San Diego, in terms of a better uh, a better pitching environment, certainly will help him. Uh, and maybe, in fact, uh, just the change of scenery will allow his luck to turn around. At this point, he's had a 66% strand rate that's hurt him. Uh, skills have really been been okay. I mean, uh, you know, he's, he's pitched really fairly well. It's just a lot of bad luck that's led to that uh, inflated ERA. 
he has been unlucky a little bit, but some of his skills have declined slightly. And the one that worried me in looking at Ian Kennedy all year waiting for the bounce back was his home run per nine went up from under one in 2011 when he was terrific, a 21-win season in Arizona, all the way up to 1.3 homers per nine this season. And I'm thinking that maybe because San Diego is so much more a uh, non-homer park that this could really be a great benefit to a guy like Ian Kennedy who does give up fly balls. The other thing that's a little bit of a concern as you look at Ian Kennedy is over the last, uh, at the same time we've seen that Tomer for fly go up, his command has been slowly dropping from 3.6 in 2011 to 2.3 this year. And that's been both a, a slight drop in dominance and a, a rise in his, uh, in his uh, walk rate. So that, that's another concern and another reason to think he may not bounce back all the way. And just for fun, I'll throw in a third one. The amount of hits he's giving up per nine innings has risen from 7.5 hits per nine innings back in 2011, that great year, up to 9.3 last year and the same again this year. That's almost two hits per game, and and that's got to affect, obviously it's going to affect his whip, but also his strand rate. I mean, you've got to think that when you're giving up that many more hits, that many more base runners, that much more pitching from the stretch and so on. Yeah, very definitely. I think that that certainly makes a difference. So, you know, I think we've, we've got to we've got to consider that maybe we saw Ian Kennedy's peak in 2011, and certainly things may get a little bit better in in uh, San Diego. But I don't know if he'll ever get back to that level that he was uh, two years ago. Going the other way from San Diego to Arizona is relief pitcher Joe Thatcher. Yeah, you know, here's a really intriguing guy. Joe Thatcher suddenly becomes a guy with the highest BPV in the uh, in the Arizona bullpen at 144 and. Uh, Joe Thatcher is really a lefty specialist. If you, and the way the way you look at that, the way he's been used, 50 games pitched, only 30 innings pitched. So he's been used in matchup situations and has done very well. A 2.10 ERA at this point, uh, 8.7 DOM, not extremely high. But what this guy does is he doesn't walk anybody. Uh, 1.2 control rate, uh, and and that is that has really done great things for him. Uh, 86% strand rate is a little bit inflated, but uh, I don't see that being a huge problem at this point for Joe Thatcher. Yes, as a, as a left-handed one-out guy, he's been fantastic this year, a 488 OPS by left-handed hitters. But if you have any ideas that Joe Thatcher could maybe get into the closer mix there, he's got an 814 OPS against versus right-handed hitters. And although he strikes out more of them, he seems to be a little more prone to giving up uh, extra base hits. Right, yeah, he does seem to do that. I mean, he 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 maintains his control against right-handed hitters, and that's that's a very good thing. But you're right; he does seem to give up more extra base hits against righties. Uh, and and in terms of someone getting into the closer mix, uh, that's a real matchup kind of issue. Yeah, a real problem. We've talked about this before, but if you have a, a, a such a pronounced platoon split for a relief pitcher, then every manager in baseball is going to know, I'm just going to wait till this guy comes in, and then I'm going to load up on the wrong hand hitter, and he's going to be in, in some kind of trouble. So Joe Thatcher, decent Lima play. If you want to improve your ratios down the stretch, probably could do worse. Not going to be a lot of help because he's going to get relatively few innings, but he's going to have the uh, outstanding numbers uh, in a limited role. In uh, Milwaukee, Tyler Thornburg, starting pitcher, is going to get the opportunity to hit the mound. Uh, Giovanni Gallardo has hit the disabled list. Tyler Thornburg's a kind of an intriguing guy. So far this season, if you look at what Tyler Thornburg has done in, in only 24 innings, a 2.22 ERA, he looks absolutely fantastic. But when you look behind those numbers, you, you've got to... You, you see a guy who's right on the on the margin of being a very very good pitcher or slipping back into something much more mediocre. A 4.21 xERA suggests that that uh, that 2.22 ERA is uh, a lot of good luck, 
And in fact, if you a 6.3 DOM down from last season, control is up 3.0, up from last season. Command ratio kind of teetering around that 2.0 that we look for, uh, but not as good as it was a year ago. Uh, and a 4% home run per fly rate, which is certainly likely to go up uh, as he's uh, as he's in a starting role. So um, Tyler Thornburg is, a, I think, a solid, solid pitcher, uh, but I wouldn't look for that 2.22 ERA to continue. But what do you think? Would you add him to a roster? Under what circumstances, as a fantasy owner, would you consider Tyler Thornburg? Well, you know, you're looking at a 4.21 XERA. If you've got somebody who's uh, who's really struggling in your rotation, that's not all that bad. Uh, but but that's what I think I would look at. A 4.21 XERA, if that will help you, then Tyra Thornburg's a good guy to add. But at this point, he's not going to get a huge number of strikeouts. He did throw a PQS 5 in his first uh, in his first starting outing. But if you look at that, and I, I don't want to, you know, a PQS 5 is a PQS 5. You don't want to don't want to downgrade that at all. But but three of those numbers in that PQS 5 were right at the margin of what we consider. So he was very, very lucky to get a 5. He could have easily had a 3 or a 2 in that first outing if, if a couple of numbers had gone the other way. So uh, I think Tyler Thornburg is an interesting add, but certainly not a must-add at this point. And finally, Nick, Mike McHenry in Pittsburgh, the backup catcher, is going to be out for the season, and that creates an opportunity for Tony Sanchez, a former first-round pick of the Pirates. He's going to be the backup catcher in Pittsburgh, and he'll get some at-bats. The question is, is he? will he be able to do anything with them? You know, Tony Sanchez had a bit of a breakout this year offensively, a three oh six batting average at AAA Indianapolis, uh, nine home runs, which, of course, is not, is not great. Uh, Tony Sanchez is probably going to do his best work defensively behind the plate he's not the kind of offensive minded catcher that we we look at today in uh, in baseball but he can get on base and he can play really plus defense and so he may wind up as a starter sometime in the future but uh, for fantasy purposes i don't think tony sanchez is a guy you want to build around there certainly are better catchers out there uh better young catchers out there that you might want to take a look at uh, five seasons in the minors tony sanchez is at 273 with a 0.56i, and I don't think we're going to see uh, see those those numbers improve a lot uh, as he moves to the major league. So think about Tony Sanchez as a uh, primarily a defensive-minded catcher who may hit enough to avoid hitting around 200, uh, but certainly not a guy that you want to build your your catching uh, core around. No, in the minor leagues, he's had 1,400 at bats, just a, just short of 1,400 at bats, I guess I should say, and only 34 home runs and 200 and some at uh, RBIs. So definitely not a power source. He has managed, as you mentioned, to be a decent on base guy. He's been over 400 at the lower levels of the minor leagues and 368 so far this year in AAA. But I know on base is better than nothing, but this is a fairly empty-looking offensive skill set. Yeah, it is indeed. You know, if you're playing in an on-base league, then Tony Sanchez might be a guy to look at. But uh, otherwise, I don't think there's a whole lot of offense there to, uh, uh, to to bolster a fantasy team. All right, Nick, thanks very much for talking with us again. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time with more National League news. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols writes regularly for BaseballHQ.com, and he's our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn to the American League and welcome back our reporter, Jock Thompson, just back from beautiful Rome, Italy. Jock, welcome back. Hi, PD. Good to be back. Back indeed. Uh, back from Europe. How was it? Uh, Europe was great. Uh, four cities in a little over two-plus weeks. Saw some, some, some good music. Uh, I just had a lot of fun, and I'm ready to talk some baseball. Uh, speaking of talking baseball, were you able to stay in touch with baseball at all, or did you even want to? 
Yeah, you know, I did want to because I've got my own ongoing fantasy leagues. The problem I had was with the time differences there. Uh, um, I could I could get into the internet when we had Wi-Fi at the hotels, but uh, in terms of watching games, um, that's when I was sleeping. So um, I didn't stay in touch as as much as I'd wanted. But you did manage to keep track of how the scores were going and the standings in your own uh, leagues and stuff? Pretty much. Uh, not as closely as I do here. There were too many other distractions over there, and I probably paid a price over these last two weeks. But, uh, um, again, it was, a, it was a great trip. A price worth paying. Uh, Jock, in your, uh, one of your articles at BaseballHQ.com, you noted that Baltimore has acquired Bud Norris from the Astros in one of the deadline trades. They sent prospect outfielder L.J. Hose to Houston, as well as a pitching prospect. What's your take on this move, and how does it affect the immediate outlook for the teams? Yeah, you know, I thought this was good timing by the Orioles. I mean, they're contending, and they and they just yell Jason Hamill, who's who's on the who's now uh, uh, injured with forearm soreness. And not only is Hamill really questionable for the rest of the season, he hasn't been very good when he has pitched, as seen by that 528 ERA and the 464 expected ERA. Jock, this trade seems to be getting a lot of mixed reviews. Why do you think so many differences of opinion? Well, I think it's primarily due to the drop off in Norris's Dom. He was uh, he was he was getting uh, 8.7 strikeouts per nine innings uh, at least over the past four seasons, and now he's down to about six. And the uh, and obviously there's questions on, on whether he can survive Camden Yards in the AL East, particularly as a non-ground ball pitch, pitcher. He's outpitched his expected ERA by almost half a run already, with a, a 3.93 ERA versus a 4.48 expected ERA. And he's been particularly tough on some teams, uh, like the Angels, for example. On the other hand, a closer look at his performance suggests that the Ks are returning these last couple of months, and his velocity is ticking up from the beginning of the season, which is when he experienced his his biggest drop in strikeouts. All right, so I'll put you on the spot. What's your verdict? Uh, it's a mixed bag. I don't think the Orioles paid that much for him, and anything can happen over these final two months. Uh, Norris still looks mildly interesting to me over the long term. Uh, it's a crapshoot, uh, particularly for fantasy owners watching their guy go to uh, go to Camden Yard. Anything can happen in these in these last two months of the season. You have to like the. Uh increased run support a better defensive team certainly a far better bullpen than he had in houston maybe he gets a couple of extra wins i know we don't play for wins but looks like his chances of picking up a couple have improved yeah it's it's always better going from a a team that's won just over 30 games to a team that's in the money that's for sure (laughs) the trade has two sides of course do you see any appeal at all in this uh lj hose going to houston well, Houston also dealt Justin Maxwell to Kansas City, and, and it already had a pretty bad outfield. Um, Hose immediately was inserted into uh, into the lineup on uh, just the other night uh, after the trade, and it looks like he's going to get about 50 to 60% playing time to start out with. Uh, if, if he can uh, use what looks like a terrific batting eye to get on base at the top of the order, he could carve out a spot in Houston because Houston doesn't have a lot of those guys. He, he certainly has a better minor league career batting average and contact than, than other high walk guys that Houston has tried, like Robbie Grossman. The problem is that he just doesn't have a lot of power, and his good speed hasn't yet translated into a running game. But sometimes at-bats is all you're looking for down the stretch, so at least he's attractive in that regard. But is he also, I'm talking about uh, L.J. Hose, is he also potentially crowded out by George Springer, the top prospect in Houston? 
Yeah, you know, a lot of analysts have have noted after this trade that uh, Springer is now likely to make his uh, his Houston debut sooner than later. But uh, general manager Jeff Lunau is on record saying that Springer is going to finish out the minor league season at AAA Oklahoma City. And in spite of a fine season, his contact issues have have, uh, already been much discussed by a lot of people. I still don't think we see Springer until September. So even more good news for L.J. Hose. Yeah, he's going to get a short-term playing time shot. I mean, they've they've been trying out people all year long. So if if he uh, if he hits well, if he does well at the top of the order, he's going to play. If he doesn't, uh, he'll sit like a lot of other uh, Houston outfielders have. Maxwell getting traded from Houston to Kansas City. Where does he fit in with the Royals? This one kind of puzzles people, I think, because Maxwell profiles as a low contact outfielder who can't hit who who can hit home runs and steal an occasional base the Kansas City outfield isn't particularly good apart from Alex Gordon um, and he hasn't been that good this season either but Maxwell isn't a huge grade over anything they have if at all does this create any fantasy fallout uh, jock do you think for Jared Dyson yeah I think that's the question fantasy owners are asking because uh, Dyson has done pretty well in his limited time he had an injury um that, that kept him out for a while, but he's hitting 274 with a 282 expected batting average with 16 stolen bases in just 95 at bat. So he's been a really good source of speed, but he could get squeezed here. There, there are some analysts that are, that are uh, surmising that uh, Maxwell is going to put platoon with Lowe, uh, with David Lowe, I'm sorry, and uh, Lorenzo Cain will, will have the other spot. Um, but at least in, in center field and right field, the Kansas City outfield is real tough to predict playing time now. Apart from Norris to Baltimore, the other big pitching acquisition in the American League East was the Red Sox picking up Jake Peavy from the White Sox. And, of course, that was that three-way deal that saw Jose Iglesias move to Detroit and outfield hitting prospect Avisail Garcia moving to the White Sox. I'm going to talk with Todd Zola about this deal a few minutes from now, but what do you think about this trade? Well, I thought it was a really good get with uh, for the Red Sox, uh, particularly given the uncertainty of if and when Clay Buckholz is going to return. Um, he should improve on his home run on on the home runs he's been giving up at the cell, uh, going to Fenway, and even his win total with the support he's going to get by the Red Sox should improve. Um, his 4.28 ERA has some room for improvement, as suggested by the 4.5 command and 3.70 xERA. I like this trade. It look, does look good for Boston. It really fills in a slot in their rotation. And if Buckholz does come back, they get all the stronger. That 4.5 command rate, 4.5 strikeouts for every walk, that's a really good level for a starting pitcher. It really is. And uh, like you suggested earlier in this in the show, he's going to a better team. He's going to get a lot more support. So we expect that to improve. Jose Iglesias, meanwhile, goes into Detroit, and apparently he'll be the shortstop who sits behind Johnny Peralta, but obviously Johnny Peralta has some clouds in his future with the biogenesis business. Yeah, Iglesias is going to fit well long-term in, in Detroit as the shortstop, where everyone, uh, and, and in the short term, obviously, everyone's anticipating that Peralta is going to be one of the announced suspensions in the biogenesis scandal. Um, no one expects uh, Iglesias to keep hitting as well as he has, but he's certainly going to improve the fortunes of Detroit starting pitchers like ground baller uh, Rick Porcello on defense. I think that's a point that's going to be overlooked by a lot of people in fantasy baseball when owners look at this whole deal, that they, they tend to focus on the guy who got moved. But you're right, Rick Porcello all of a sudden looks a little better because uh, obviously Peralta is no uh, Jose Iglesias with the leather. No, that's true. Iglesias is a magician, and uh, he's going to help the ground ballers. 
What about Avisail Garcia in Chicago playing at the cell? The, the White Sox are playing out the string, so we should expect to see Garcia get a call soon. But while he has good power, he's still a project, so he's going to be interesting to watch. And, and I'm guessing the return on his playing time isn't going to be immediate in spite of the benefits of that particular venue. There's also a case of subtraction by subtraction here. Uh, trading Iglesias seems to leave the Red Sox with a big hole at third base, and he was playing quite well there. Now what do they do? Well, they've got two minor leaguers in uh, in AAA. Uh, shortstop prospect uh, Xavier Bogarts should get a, a shot at some point. He's been playing third base over the past few weeks, I think, in in, in anticipation of this kind of a move. And Boston also has high power but contact challenge Will Middlebrooks, who washed out earlier this year. We're going to have to wait and see. You're right. They're taking a gamble on putting third base into the hands of of a couple of rookies. Um, It's going to be interesting to see what the Red Sox do here. I know this one's been talked about a lot, but Alfonso Soriano goes from the Cubs to the Yankees? You know, I like Soriano. He's like ageless. I mean, he's not going to get you much other than power and a 250-260 batting average, but Take a look at his uh, his power index, and it just doesn't change. He's he's still got elite or near elite power. Um, I really like him. If if I'm in an AL league uh, right now, um, I'm I'm picking him up. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when Curtis Granderson returns, which is is scheduled to be imminent. Uh, I think he's he's he may, he may have returned by the time this radio show goes on uh, on the internet. Um, who sits? Ichiro? Uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting, but I, I like Soriano's power. Well, it figures that Soriano will DH almost exclusively once uh, the Yankees outfielder outfield is back in shape. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I wasn't considering the DH, and you're, and you're right. He's probably going to be at the DH spot after Granderson returns. So thumbs up on Soriano. He's going to hit home runs with the Yankees. And uh, Soriano's a really poor outfielder, so that uh, solves a lot of problems once Granderson gets back for the Yankees. Uh, In a minor trade, I'll talk about Todd Zola with this as well, Alberto Cayaspo goes from your Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim to Oakland, and you guys get back Grant Green. What do you think about all this? Well, it's interesting. I don't think this was an earth-shattering trade, but I thought it was interesting that uh, that Oakland is willing to take on Kiaspo, and the first reports are are that he's going to be the left-handed platoon in a second base uh, uh, job share with Kurt Sogard, and he'll be used as a utility. Now, I don't know if you remember anything about Kiaspo at second base, but he didn't have much range, and he wasn't very good on the double play. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Uh, Oakland is hoping for these last two months that. Uh, Kiaspo uh, is going to get a little more fortunate with his hit rate, I, I think, and and put to use that very good contact and uh, and on and uh, uh, on base percentage. Uh, he's got a very high walk rate. On the other hand, I've watched Kiaspo the last two years, and he just absolutely has no pop in his swing. He um, he'll go for a, a, a long time with uh, without hitting anything hard. So it's really going to depend on luck here, and I think Oakland's going to suffer on defense. Now, when it comes to Green, it's interesting. Uh, Green is a project, and Oakland clearly gave up on him after watching him during a, what sounds like a, a disastrous 15-at-bat stint while I was in Europe. He made three errors. Um, he's still a man without a position, but he's still a pretty good athlete. I like this trade from the Angels' standpoint. Uh, he, he, I don't know where Green's going to play for the rest of the year. He may get some of the DH at-bats that have been vacated with with holes being gone for the season. They may try to give him some at-bats at second base and maybe move Kendrick into the outfield where he's played sparingly over the last couple of years. But uh, Green at least gives them some talent and some youth and some financial flexibility. Uh, the Angels are going to have to look for a third baseman. Uh, Chris Nelson is going to get the at-bats initially. 
I don't see him as a long-term play. He's been lousy outside of Coors Field throughout his career. Um, but again, this this was a real interesting, albeit small, move for both teams. Finally, Jock, which American League team surprised you the most by not making any deadline deals? Well, you know, it's not that they didn't make a, a deadline deal, but the team I'm surprised at who, who didn't get a bat is Texas because they've really been hurting offensively lately, and they have all kinds of resources to get that bat. Now, they made the big Garza deal, and they had to. Their, their pitching also has been hurting, but I was a little surprised they didn't pick up a bat. I thought Seattle was going to do more at the deadline, Jock. They had... Uh, a number of older players who are going to be free agents at the end of this year anyway. Kendris Morales, the former Angel, Mike Morse, and Raul Abanez, who's having a banner year. All these guys are gone anyways. I'm surprised that they didn't try to use them to get some farm depth, if nothing else. No, I would agree with you there. It's not like Seattle's uh, close to making the playoffs, regardless of the second wild card, even though they've been playing better lately. Um, they have a lot of older guys that uh, that they're probably not going to sign um, Morse and Ibanez would have been primary guys to move, for example, you know, to go to the Rangers if they were willing to do that kind of an interdivisional deal. But, yeah, I, I, I'm going to agree with you on Seattle. Yeah, I thought there was a good fit there with Texas as well, but it didn't happen. Of course, they can still make trades. There's waiver trades yet to come. Jock, thanks very much for talking with us, and we'll catch up with you again in a week. Okay, PD. See you next week. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and writes regularly for the site. When we come back, Talking with Todd. This is Baseball HQ Radio. Hi, I'm Ray Murphy. I help run things at BaseballHQ.com. I'm inviting you to join me at First Pitch Arizona, November 1st through 3rd in Scottsdale. It's three days jam-packed with seminars, scouting reports, workshops, and fantasy drafts. And best of all, First Pitch Arizona is three great days just talking baseball with hundreds of serious fantasy players like you and all the top industry experts. And don't forget the ball games. First Pitch Arizona is your chance to scout 2014's impact rookies, including the annual Rising Stars All-Star Game. Visit www.firstpitchforums.com to get the skinny and to register. Sign up by August 31st to get a 40% discount on the registration fee. It's like getting Miguel Cabrera in the seventh round. First Pitch Arizona, come see for yourself why the fantasy baseball winners who attend every year call it the most fun you can have outside of draft day. We'll see you there. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt, and it's time once again to talk with Todd. It's our weekly conversation about fantasy baseball with Todd Zola of BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, KFFL.com, ESPN.com. Todd, welcome back to the show, and did I miss any dot-coms? Um, well, technically, yeah. I do a little work for Fantasy Alarm and <clears throat> excuse me, a new daily site, DFS Edge, if anybody's playing the daily games, where... Uh, Offering advice on on picking your daily lineup, so it's another uh, another endeavor of mine. Always uh, important to stay busy, and uh, I'll say again, as I've said to our listeners all along, any place you can find Todd Zola, make sure you do it. Uh, Todd, uh, we were all very excited about what might happen at the deadline, and not much did, in actual fact. The biggest deal that went down since we last spoke was probably the Jake Peavy deal. He goes to the Red Sox in a three-team trade with Avisail Garcia going to the White Sox from the Tigers and Jose Iglesias going from the Red Sox to the Tigers. What effect does all this have on fantasy owners? Not a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I think you know Peavy goes to a slightly better, better venue, maybe a little bit better offense. 
But, you know, the key would be, you know, you're going to play him anyway if you had him in Chicago. The key is still going to be health. You know, and I don't know that he's going to stay any healthier in Boston. Um, the other pieces, just, you know, Garcia's down in the minors for a little while. Um, I think it has more more ancillary parts as far as, you know, the, the, not so much the players involved, but some of the uh, the players not involved. You know, it firms up. It firms up Matt Tuiasasopo's backup role in Detroit. You know, that doesn't mean a whole lot, except if you're in deep leagues or daily leagues. He's a great platoon player, a great guy to use against lefties. So, you know, it, it gives you a reason to put him on your, your roster in mixed leagues and that sort of thing. Um, you know, we've talked about him a little bit before during the, uh, I think, during one of the roundtables that we had the, 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 the rookie, when we mentioned the rookie of the year. Uh one of the real quiet moves was Shapinski just, no, nah, I can't say this. What, Mark, Mark Scrabble going down to, uh, the, uh, going to Cleveland and sending Vinny Pistano down, which definitely clears up the number two spot for Allen as being the uh, next in line. If Chris Perez gets hurt, I don't think he's going to be moved at this point. So that's sort of an under-the-radar move. I'm, I'm looking more at the, 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 the repercussions of the players that weren't traded because there really wasn't a whole lot going on with those that were. You said that uh, PV going to Boston and it may be a better offense than the White Sox? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, of course. It's <laughs> it's a better offense than the White Sox. You, the, the chances to get wins is increased. I know you can't predict wins, but you can at least give yourself a better opportunity, and he should get that, you know, better bullpen as well uh, with, with Boston. So, you know, at this point of year... It's a difference between, what, six and three wins, which, you know, could be significant in some standings and roto standings. But uh, I think, you know, it's it's more of uh, just I think the ratios might improve a little bit in Boston, even though it's a, it's a run-producing environment with the wall. Uh, Chicago's a real run-producing environment. So I think that, uh, you know, PV should, should have a slightly tick down in ratios. If everything goes to form, again, you know, it's in 10 weeks, anything can happen. There was another deal, a lesser deal. The Angels sent infielder Alberto Cayaspo to Oakland for Grant Green, a guy who hasn't made much of a splash at the big league level, despite having been quite a hot prospect in his time. Do you think this deal makes any big hoop in the fantasy scheme of things? Uh, no, I, I, I think, you know, <laughs> Twitter was, you know, why, why is Oakland trading such a great prospect? Well, he's really not such a great prospect. No, if anything, you know, it, it, what it does is it gives Oakland another, another moving part. To You know, Chiaspo goes to second base, and now they can give Jed Lowry a breather. And he's already surpassed his his career high in at-bats, plate appearances. So, you know, his owners are already happy. So they can't be too upset if he misses a game here and there. Donaldson may get a, get a break. I don't think it's going to ma- matter all that much. Green could get himself a shot at uh, at playing third for, for, for Anaheim, which... Which could, could down the stretch make a difference, but you know he hasn't been able to hit yet. I don't know what you know what magically he's going to be able to do it, but you know if you need some some at bats down the stretch, keep an eye. He could get the at bats in Anaheim, which actually the they, third the, the one to really look at if that's if you're looking for at bats down the stretch. Talking about guys that you know traded you know indirectly. Well, he was traded. Mike Olt and, and, and the Cubs, he's going to probably be called up before the end of the year. And he's a guy that could make an impact. So they've been trying to fill that black hole ever since Aramis Ramirez left. So he's a guy, if you can stash, 
Mike Alton, the Cubs, is the guy I'd look at to try to uh, put away for the stretch. And finally, uh, a trade that seemed like sort of Arizona giving up on Ian Kennedy a bit. They sent him to San Diego for a relief pitcher. Uh, Arizona did need some relief help. But uh, can Ian Kennedy resurrect his career by moving to a more favorable pitcher's park and just basically getting a change of scenery? Yeah, I think he can. I, it's, I, you're right. It was, it was kind of curious. But you know, he's not that old. But, uh, you know, they do have some youngsters in Skaggs and Delgado to, uh, to backfill, the, the, you know, the parts in Arizona. Sure, anybody, anybody can uh, have a career resurrected. Not anybody, but Sandy. If you're going to go someplace to resurrect, to resurrect a career, San Diego should be the place. If you just throw strikes, you know their outfield can chase him down, and it's you know even with defenses moved in, it's still an awful hard place to hit a homer. So Kennedy is definitely a guy. He was off of my radar mainly because I've talked about I don't like to stream players in Arizona and Philadelphia and some of the better hitting parks. Uh, he, you know, he's now a, a guy. He's definitely worthy being played at home. Uh, in, in, in some road some road venues as well. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola, our regular weekly talk with Todd. And Todd, uh, ESPN.com, you're an insider there in the fantasy baseball area, and you and some of your peers uh, had a mid-season rankings article about 10 days ago uh, or so. We've talked before about your somewhat controversial rankings and especially about how you went about it. But let's look at some individual players, and maybe you can explain your thinking it, this was surprising to me. You said Chris Sale of the White Sox was the second pitcher in all of baseball, only to Clayton Kershaw. It's a little surprising. Why'd you say that? Well, because he is. Uh, <laughs> at least I think so. You know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not looking at wins. I don't care about wins. I know he's only got six of them. But his peripherals, he's actually got a better strikeout rate and better better walk rate than he did last season. And all the luck based uh, metrics that we look at. The BABIP and the, the left on base strand percent uh, and home run for fly ball. He's basically where he should be. There's no, he's not lucky. His his 2.69 present ERA is not is not luck based. It's real. It's based on his skills. His FIP and XFIP are, are 2.85, 2.86. So sure, there's a 0.7 difference, 0.1 difference, but that's really nothing. So you know. I, what he's what you see is what you get. That is what he is. He is a he is a sub three pitcher. I don't know, even you know, even looking at Felix and and I don't I don't know that there's any other pitcher uh, out there that other than Kershaw that I'm comfortable saying is going to finish with an ERA under three. Uh, even even Matt Harvey, to tell you the truth, uh, maybe next year, but to to, to be sure that he's going to finish the rest of the year with an ERA under three. I'm not comfortable saying it. Sale, I'm comfortable saying it. Now, there's going to be some, you know, looking at him next year, chances are he's going to give back some of the gains he made in strikeouts and walks because it's just very difficult to continue to go up when you're at that level. But I think, you know, he that is the pitcher that he is. Health is going to be the concern uh, with Chris Sale right. going forward, not skills. Your peers had Edwin Encarnacion of the Blue Jays sort of between number 10 and number 23 and 11th overall. He's your number five player overall. What's your thinking on uh, such a high ranking for Edwin Encarnacion? Uh, well, the first the, the first thing is it, he's shown that last year's power improvement was not a fluke. He's actually on a pace to at least match, if not best, his, his home run total from last season. So, you know, that, that question's out of the way. Uh, then it just becomes, 
you know, where, you know, the difference between 5, 10, you know, 12. His, uh, his RBI plus runs, if you add the two of them up together, he's fourth overall in baseball. And I think when we do rankings, sometimes we overlook the, the contribute. We think about home runs, we think about steals and batting average. We overlook the contributions of the runs plus RBIs. I know they're a team-based stat, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, but they're still a roto stat, and you still, you know, have to consider them in the probability the player will get uh, has to get runs and RBIs. And I see no reason it's going to drop unless Jose Bautista gets hurt. As a matter of fact, it may even go up because they've had some trouble at the top of the order. Uh, so, you know, to me. And, and, and plus the fact he, he, he does steal a little bit, not a lot, but he gets just enough steals in Encarnacion to make it to make a difference. Uh, and it just my numbers, he that's where he came out. He came out number five, and I think the real the reason is based on the runs plus RBIs. I suspect that RBIs, at least on the flip side, is why you don't like Reds All Star first baseman Joey Votto, who you rank quite a bit lower than your peers. Ding ding! That is that is correct. Uh, again, uh, it just it just came out. Uh, the skill, you know, the batting average is real. You know, he's 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 a twenty twenty five home run hitter. It's not totally uh, John Olerud like, but you're right. He's just not getting the RBIs. And we can argue all day long. You know why? Uh, if you you know if you look at the numbers, all all good hitters uh, walk rate goes up. When there's men in scoring position, it's just the way it is. His just goes up. His skyrockets. Now, whether it's his approach or or the pitcher's approach, you know that's a that's a fun argument to have. But for fantasy, I don't really don't care. It it it, it it's true. It, it occurs. So for fantasy, it means that he has fewer RBIs, and it's not just a, a 2013 thing. It's been the past couple of years. So. You know, I, you know, as a as a player, I'm not at all upset that he's walking with men on base. You know, I'm, I'm I come from the school that it's your job not to make an out, not necessarily to you know to drive home the runs. Your job is your, at its root is not to make an out, and he doesn't make a whole lot of outs, so he's okay in my book. But for my fantasy book, I you know <laughs> I do want him swinging, I do want him driving the runs home, and he's not doing it. Yeah, and when you listen to a lot of uh, baseball broadcasts, of course, they have ex-players on who who have a, shall we say, a different uh, viewpoint of some of these issues. And they do say, you know, Joey Votto should be swinging more. But it seems like if Joey Votto starts swinging more at pitches that he can't drive, he's just going to not advance the team's cause at all. And I recommend to anybody who hasn't, go look at the charts. You can find them online. Uh, just Google search for uh for uh, the the charts on uh, win outcomes and run outcomes, and if he walks with a guy on base, he improves his ch- team's chance of scoring more runs, and he improves his team's chance, therefore, of winning games. It just doesn't help us in our fantasy pursuits. Right now, and and there, you know, Votto has got some weird quirks to his numbers. He actually hits better when he, you know, when he's his, his batting average on balls earlier in the count is actually better, but it might be that he's just very particular. He just looks in his zone. If the ball's in the zone, he swings, and he hits it well. And if it's not, he lays off of it. So, you know, it, it's it's kind of weird that there's some look to be contrary. Well, why doesn't he swing all the time? He's hitting 480 on the first pitch. Well, that's because he's being very selective at what he swings at, right. you know, on the first pitch. But I, you know, I agree, too. You know, from a fantasy perspective, it just makes, you know, Brandon Phillips and, and Jay Bruce and, and his friends a little further in the order that much more. Uh, valuable because now there's an extra guy on base to drive home. 
and he runs the bases pretty well also. He's a good all-around ball player. Brandon Phillips has definitely been the beneficiary of Joey Votto's approach this year. Uh, Todd, your peers at ESPN had James Shields in their top 20 pitchers. For you, he's down around number 30 as a pitcher. Yeah, well, it's, it's just it's the old, you know, look at the peripherals. You know, the, the ERA was not quite supported by the peripherals. Now, the other thing being, if you look just at the numbers by themselves, my pitcher rankings were a little bit lower, lower, higher, worse. And when you say lower, higher in rankings, you never know which direction you, you really mean. That's right, yeah. Uh, we're, we're a little bit worse. You know, the same. I could have the same expectation for a pitcher, and I have him ranked, say, 50th, and the, the other guys may have him ranked, like, 30th. It's just because of more of my philosophy, especially in second-half rankings. So a little of it is skewed by that, but you know, Shield, you know, Shields is a guy. I don't think he's ever had a year where his uh, you know expected ERA matched up with his real ERA. This year, at least at the time, he was a little bit lucky, and I expected that you know t- to even out going forward, not even out, but to be regular going forward, which meant you know he was going to drop in the rankings. And Max Scherzer, who is probably going to be among the Cy Young favorites, especially if he gets to 20 wins, is the sixth pitcher on the overall list and number 36 of all players. You have him down around the 15th slot as a pitcher and 75th overall. Okay, you say your your philosophy is that pitchers are not as going to be as high on the rankings as uh, as batters are, but why 15th pitcher overall? I think he was given a lot of credit. You know, the wins, you know, I think a lot of times... Um, when we go through these rankings, I don't, I'm not going to speak towards other people's methods, but it's, it, sometimes you take the basis of how you, you know, where you are right now and, and move up and down based on feel. And, you know, with all those wins, he was showing up a lot, you know, very, very high on the, uh, on, on, on the player rater or, or ESPN and whatever else you might want to use to do your rankings. And, I just you know I have him going for the you know in air quotes regular amount of wins going forward, which you know the same numbers fewer wins, it accounts for how much you know for the for the amount of spaces that he'll be uh, be dropped. So I think you, the, the the short answer is I just have him because he too his uh, his his ERA is actually a little unlucky. <laughs> you can actually expect it to drop a little bit uh, going forward. Uh, so I think it was just the um, the evening out of the wins probably was what accounted for a slightly lower ranking on my part. Overall, Todd, out of the seven voters, you had the most high votes for individual players and the most low votes for individual players. What do you think that says about how the process worked and or how valuations can differ? Yeah, this is, I, I sort of just alluded to that. Um, here's the funny part is, you know, I've taken some flack for some of these outliers and the implication has been that I wanted to, you know, look at me, hashtag look at me. My, my Twitter trolls like to tell me my mistakes and hashtag look at me. Uh, the implication being I took a player and purposely made him high or low, where the irony is it's the exact, not so much the exact opposite, but these are spreadsheet driven. I don't, I don't hand tweak anything. This is what the spreadsheet, you know, I tell the spreadsheet what to do. But you know, this is what happened. This is what come. This is what this is what happens. And I think, as I just sort of alluded to, I don't. I don't know what the other guys do, but I'm pretty sure it's not as spreadsheet driven as mine. And they may miss how certain players are performing, or may not realize just how well Matt Carpenter's doing right now. 
They may know that he's doing well, but they may not realize just how well he's doing. So either they're taking some older rankings and, and tweaking them or, uh, you know, doing them more by feel. Uh, I think the spreadsheet captures what's actually happening better than, you know, just, just sort of thinking about it or trying to remember or, or, or intuitively. And I think that's sort of what's happening is because uh, a, a lot of I'm questioning a lot of these because how can you possibly have so-and-so ranked at this spot? And I'll go to the uh, the player raider, the ESPN player raider, and that's where he's ranked. You know, the, the, so far this season. So it's like, well, I, I mean, I'm not, I don't have him ranked at this spot because that's where he is. But did you realize that's where he is? Yeah. He's actually doing that well. I'm just saying he's going to continue to do what he's doing. And I think we don't realize, in you know, unless you're intimate and look at the players on the player raider, just where some of these players are performing and how real or not real the performance may be. And I think it's captured by the spreadsheet. And uh, the only the only problem is, if and I made this mistake, uh, if you, you know, Sean Markham was out for the year. And I, uh, oops, I forgot to give him zero innings on my, uh, on the update that I did to, for these particular rankings. And I had Sean Markham ranked, and it was, I was called on it, and then it was a mistake, and I owned up to it. But, you know, if, as long as you are, are, are diligent about keeping up the playing time, you know, you're not going to lose any names. Everybody's going to be there, and no one's going to slip through the cracks, which I, you know, I don't want to, again, judge what other people are doing, because uh, who's to say what method's best? But we all think our own method is best, so that's why I use the spreadsheets. A vote for objectivity in projections, uh, certainly going to go over well with people who are BaseballHQ.com followers. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Todd Zola. And Todd, at KFFL.com, your roundtable uh, looked at overachievers a while ago and followed up by looking at underachievers. And the challenge was pick guys who are or are not going to bounce back from their underachieving. You picked uh, Paul Canerco as the underachieving batter most likely to keep underachieving. How come? I just, it just to me looks like one of those years, and you know, there's there's injuries. He's striking out a lot more than normal, which to me, I, we've talked about. That's sort of my uh, I, I rely on. I hang my hat on strikeout rate more more so than anything else. It, it's getting a little bit better, but he, he's striking out more than normal. He's not walking as much as normal either. The power has just dropped. Uh, he's had a, a dip like this in the past, and. And you know we wrote him off, but boy did he bounce back for a couple of seasons. I just I just don't see him bouncing back this year. And one of the reasons why I elected I don't know that I mentioned this in the article I did in a couple other places. First base is a spot that you don't have to wait. You know you don't have to wait it out on a, on a player um, anymore. There's enough backfill that it's you know it's more advantageous. You know drop him because chances are you're not going to get burned. Because if he does do well, the player that you bring in instead isn't going to do that bad either. So uh, that's sort of a, this, a sort of underlying reason why I may have picked a first baseman. But you know, next year is going to be tough. What do you do with Canerco? Because he's already bounced back once, but of course he's a couple years older than he was as well. Right. Your choice for an underachieving pitcher who won't bounce back, and this will surprise some people: Justin Verlander, Cy Young winner. Well, I mean, it's it's been somewhat somewhat justified in the time since you know since we made the picks a couple of weeks ago. He's he's had a few outings, like one just the other day. The numbers look good. He had you know let up one run, 
But five walks, that, that's, that's horrible when all you're supposed to be doing is throwing the ball over the plate with a 10-run lead. So there's just something, I don't know what it is. There's, there, it's not Justin Verlander-like what's going on right now. Uh, I don't know if there's an injury or what, uh, or if it's just the, the number of innings that have added up. Because it's not just the number of innings, uh, number of game. You know, he goes so deep into games and, and throws so many innings in, in the playoffs and the whatnot. I know we call him a horse, but he's only a horse until he breaks down. Then he's a broken down horse. And uh, maybe that's just what we're seeing at this point. Your most likely hitter to bounce back from his underachieving was Michael Saunders of Seattle. Yeah, uh, and another one, you know, he's it's sort of born to fruition. Uh, now, the problem with Saunders was he was the quietest twenty twenty guy in the league when he was playing well. Um, you know, even when if he bounces back to that level, no one's going to know anyway. He's uh, he's hitting a lot better. He's going to have the opportunity. Uh, Franklin Gutierrez is still out, and even though Dustin Ackley is uh, is playing a little bit of outfield, Saunders is playing and. He showed last night his defense is going to keep him in the line. I've made one heck of a throw uh, to nail to, to extend the game at least one more inning. Red Sox Seattle last night, a throw on the fly from center field to get uh, I think it was Snyder at home uh, on, a, on a potential sacrifice fly. Uh, Two seventy hitter, but you know twenty twenty as far as counting stats go. Uh, you know the rest of the year he can, he can get another five homers, another five stolen bases if he's in the lineup and. He showed me some signs at the time. He was making better contact. He was getting the getting. He was playing more. Uh, and when you want to, when you're looking for improvement, you want to find someone who's got a, a long way to go. You don't. If he gets a little bit better, eh, it's not going to help you. Where he was, what it would cost to get him to what he's capable of doing, was sort of one of the reasons for choosing him. The 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 the, the, the amount of gain possible was pretty big. Uh, with, you know, picking up Michael Sanders as your fourth, Saunders as your fourth or fifth outfielder at this point of the season because the cost was going to be almost negligible. And your bounce back pitcher was a guy you didn't even include on your ESPN list of the top 250 uh, second half players, John Lester of Boston. Part of the fun about writing for KFFL is you can have a little fun. Honestly, I'm not all that high on Lester bouncing back. I, I think even in, I think I may have actually cut it a little bit when we edited it out. But that was more of a wishful thinking sort of pick than it may have been an analytical pick. I look at Lester, and I think this I explained this better in the ESPN. I look at the numbers, and I I see returning to league average. I don't see Lester going on one of those runs where you know zoned in runs where he's you know fanning eight and a half a game and only walking two. Um, you know, league average with one of the better offenses backing you is going to get you some wins. It's going to help Boston. But, you know, it's not going to hurt your fantasy team, but I don't think it's going to necessarily help it. I don't know what it is. With, I mean, I watch him all the time. He looks fine. It just he doesn't seem to be putting batters away. I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not an expert in that regard, obviously. If I were, if I were, uh, if I were Red Sox, I'd be calling up Jason Veritek and asking, um, you know, this is what we're throwing. This is our pattern. This is our repertoire. What are we doing wrong? Why do they keep fouling off the pitches? What did you call in this situation? Why can't Jared call the same pitch and, uh, and, and you know, why are we extending counts and, and that sort of thing? Because he looks healthy, he looks fine, but uh, he's just not putting guys away. Okay, Todd, thanks very much for talking with us again this week. We'll catch up with you again uh, next Friday. Excellent. 
Todd Zola writes for BaseballHQ.com, MastersBall.com, KFFL.com, and ESPN.com in the insider section of their fantasy baseball coverage, as well as those other sites he mentioned just a moment ago. Before we wrap up this week's show, let me remind you some of the features this week at BaseballHQ.com. Matt Beagle has an alternatives column about ballparks and pitching strategies for online Stratomatic. Our regular daily call-ups report looks at Philadelphia right-hander Ethan Martin and third baseman Cody Ash, as well as Colorado right-hander Chad Bettis and many more. And Dr. HQ, Rick Wilton, looks at appendicitis. Plus our regular features on playing time, facts and flukes, buyer's guides, division outlooks, pitcher matchups, and much more. And speaking of pitcher matchups, now it's time for our regular Friday edition look at some pitchers and their opponents this coming week. Remember, our Baseball HQ matchup ratings run from plus 5, which is a must-start, to minus 5, which is a must-sit. Looking at Rick Porcello hosting the White Sox and Brandon McCarthy returning against the Red Sox, here's BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Despite his 4.49 ERA this year, Rick Porcello looks to be a fine choice against the White Sox with a 2.09 matchup rating from BaseballHQ.com starting pitching report. Porcello's outpitched his ERA this year with a 65% strand rate and 14% home run per fly ball rate, resulting in some bad luck for him so far. He does have a 335 expected ERA, putting him in the upper ranks of the American League starters in that regard. He gets Chicago this time around, and they're last in the American League in run scores, so feel free to start Porcello here. A.J. Burnett gets the top score for National League starters on Monday against Colorado. He'll get the Rockies away from Coors Field, where they're hitting a tick under 250 this year with an on-base just over 300. At 36 years old, Burnett's putting up the best skills of his career with a 9.9 strikeouts per nine, 3.05 expected ERA, and a 116 BPV. Unfortunately, he only has a 4-7 and seven record to show for it, but trust the skills, not the win-loss record, and have confidence in Burnett in this matchup. On the flip side, Brandon McCarthy, he last pitched on May 30th, and he's set to return on Sunday from the DL. Waiting for him is a Boston team leading baseball in runs scored, as well as a negative .42 matchup rating for McCarthy. The first start back from a long layoff is always a risky move, and he likely won't go too deep into this one. But McCarthy's pre-injury skills don't really match up against this offense either. He posted a 4.21 expected ERA and only a 5.3 strikeouts per nine, so a wait-and-see approach is definitely advised here. And finally, Barry Zito's negative 1.9 matchup rating is about as low as you'll see for someone with this sample size. BaseballHQ.com's pure quality start metric, which is a skills-based measure of individual outings, says five of Zito's last six starts have been a zero out of five. July was also Zito's worst month, as he put up a 7.65 ERA, with skills about just as bad as that. Stay far away from Zito against the Rays on Sunday. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Attention daily streaming league and salary cap gamers, Ryan Bloomfield, Troy Martell, and Brian Brickley do comprehensive starting pitcher matchup reports every day at BaseballHQ.com. And that wraps up Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, August 2nd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 32 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. 
I also want to thank our guests today, commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch News analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our regular Friday correspondent was Todd Zola. And our HQ matchups commentator was BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. I'm Patrick Tavitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can also check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at Baseball HQ. Feel free to join the more than 150 followers of my own personal Twitter account, at Patrick Davitt. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Tuesday with BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler on our next edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.